everyone, and thanks for joining us on Beyond the Square, the podcast from the Centre for PE, Sport and Activity at Kingston University. We are Greg Dreyer, Declan Hamlin and Alex Becky, and we're your critical friends in PISA. In this series, we're looking at what shapes our practices within PISA. In previous episodes, we have discussed the influences of our own experiences of PISA, the espoused purpose and policy and policymakers have on professional judgment and decision making. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about other key stakeholders in PISA and what impact they have on practice. Just to let you know, we apologise for the sound quality. We are recording this remotely during COVID-19 pandemic, so it's not at our usual high quality. We always like to have some critical questions for you to ask yourself. And I'm going to go over to Greg to start with his. Thanks, Declan. And my key question for this episode is, who are the key stakeholders in your context? Following on from Greg, my question is, do you know what these key stakeholders think and believe about physical education? And my question is, what are the motivations for these stakeholders for being involved in your PE? The name of this podcast is Beyond the Square. You and the children you teach in PE, school sport and school-based PE are inside the square. Going beyond the square is changing the why, the what and the how of PISA. For us at CPISA, that is making it a more inclusive, meaningful and educative experience for the young people you work with. You have a lot of influence over that but so do key stakeholders in the school community who exist outside that square. SLT, parents, other teaching staff, administrational grounds and estate staff, external sports coaches, and of course the children themselves. All these stakeholders have had their own personal experiences of PISA and therefore have formed expectations of ideas of what it should be like. That puts external pressure on your square the head teacher who wants top academic P exam results, the parents who want kudos from successful sport teams, the teaching colleagues who do not see the educational value of the subject. Going beyond the square then is a challenge as these stakeholders can either hinder or facilitate that journey. You have a choice to go on the journey of change alone or with them. The chance of long-term sustainable success though is greatly diminished without these key stakeholders on your side. If you want to go beyond the square, then you need to bring them with you. They can provide you with the space, time, resources and safety to experiment and learn as going beyond the square is not an easy process. Greg and Declan are going to look at some experiences with key stakeholders in more detail. And to pick up from that, the first thing I want to register is really that all stakeholders and including practitioners, of course, have agency. So it's really important that we understand where people are coming from if we're going to engage in an ongoing dialogue, as you mentioned, and the need to advocate and communicate effectively. We can't assume that we know where people are coming from. I've seen this too often, with, especially when talking to head teachers. And I remember doing some professional development work and it was a room full of head teachers and, and they very quickly shouted me down when I was following a prescribed script that I was given that second-guessed what head teachers were about. Uh, and as you mentioned, on the slides I was working to, it said that head teachers were, were most interested in academic attainment. And all 16 head teachers in the room uh, made it very clear that they were much more interested in this context, in the happiness and the well-being of the children that they're working with. So do not assume. Listen. How can you communicate 
um, what you're about if we if we go into influence and i'm going to go back to a great webinar podcast that susie stevens did a few weeks ago around the e and she uses the used the analogy that the physical educator is the doctor in the health ecosystem um, that's not to say she was saying that nurses and physios and hospital administrators don't have a view and a key role to play but the doctor's employed to make the call it's the doctor who's the highly qualified professional uh, I was delighted to hear about this in action with one of our final year undergraduate students on our work-based learning degree. He's got many years of experience working in the primary school that employs him. And he was asked his view on implementing the Daily Mile. He gave a reasons, evidence-based answer that related very much and aligned to his purpose. And the senior management team accepted what he said. As it goes, he advocated that they didn't implement the Daily Mile but that's not really the point of the example. The point is about the process that they went through, not the outcome. And the point that I'm trying to make is that we as physical educators are not passive and like everything, it's the quality of the relationship that gives agency and advocacy to the whole process. So going back to who the stakeholders are that we, we have to work with, Alex has mentioned parents, teachers, policymakers. I just want to turn some attention for a while to media, including social media. And I'm always fascinated by who the go-to people are in the media. It's currently uh, Joe Weeks is a very high profile. Previously, it's been people like Dame Kelly Holmes, David Beckham, Judy Murray, etc. Now, I'm sure these people are very well-meaning. But the, the question I always ask is how many lessons have they taught in school settings to classes of 30 kids they all come from either a fitness or an elite sport background so there's clearly a perspective and an agenda there a number of questions rise from this for me why is PE and PE teachers ignored or bypassed is it because of our lack of effective advocacy have we relinquished control of the agenda what other professions get bypassed going back to Susie Stevens it's like policymakers for the current COVID crisis, not seeking the advice and support of medics and scientists, but going to nutritionists. Nutritionists may well have a role. I don't know. I'm not an expert in that field, but I'm not sure that it's a central one. And then scientists and medics have become advocates for healthism in PE. So, for example, PE is now integrally linked to the chief medical officer's 60 minutes per day. So if we're asking how stakeholders shape practice, that's a really clear example. Whether or not the guidelines are helpful and beneficial to young people, well, that's a question for another podcast. Finally, it's particularly challenging to make sense of this landscape when different stakeholders are coming from diametrically opposing places. As an example, let's compare government policy. The school games and competitive sport is central tenet to that policy in very recently published advice on PE and sport premium, one of the five key outcomes is more children engaged in competitive sport. And we've touched upon this in previous podcasts. From a stakeholder's perspective, let's compare and contrast this position with that of another group of powerful stakeholders, namely national governing bodies. And I know Declan's going to touch upon this again, but for the minute, I'm just going to turn to the FA, the RFU and the ECB as three examples. They've all invested heavily in reforming the way children experience their sports. How have they done this? Well, usually by employing or commissioning excellent physical educators to put development and inclusion front and centre, and by doing so, 
diminishing the significance of competitive outcomes. Why have they done that? Because they looked long and hard at the evidence and they saw that an early emphasis with early really meaning pre-maturation, an early emphasis on a competitive outcome is detrimental to long-term participation. So it's left to those working in primary PE in particular to make sense of that. Some people are doing amazing work while others are running dance competitions for six-year-olds. Thanks, Greg. So my question was about what are the motivations for the stakeholders being involved in your PE? Uh, so whenever I see a national expert group discussing the way forward for PISA, it invariably consists of national governing bodies and national agencies uh, with representation from groups like the Sport Trust, Sports Leaders UK, Sport England, plus the various exam bodies. Whilst on the whole these bodies have sound values that will probably align with your own, we must not lose sight of the fact that they are pushing their own agendas and sometimes this will include resources to sell. After all, they need to sell to exist. On a local level in your school, this may mean signing up to memberships, running certain programmes as a per pupil head fee, or participating in certain schemes for operational value that does not necessarily benefit your own PISA. Sometimes we're just happy to be asked to be part of a bigger picture and cause that we follow like a cult, without ever really taking a step back, pressing pause and thinking how does this action align with our own school community's purpose for PISA. School sport partnerships and alike will on a local level take on board these ambitions of their financial feeders. And again, do you question how the engagements benefit the journey towards your own purpose? A positive example from my own experience is using local partnerships to develop the opportunities for girls to play and experience football. I was teaching in a school where many girls wished to play football but didn't have the opportunity. As a school, we didn't have our own outdoor playing facilities at all and so we were limited in what we could do. Forming a partnership with the local football development agency by the council, we were able to access the local 3G facility that allowed those girls to play and have an opportunity to experience what football was about. This soon became what was called Come and Play, and this expanded to beyond the school's community and reached across the borough, where every girl in the borough could come along and play each month. This then led to the development of a local school's football league, where the funding for that, for the pitches and the officials, came from the local football development partnership. Kits were accessed using the Premier League scheme so that all the children and schools were represented in matching kit too. This then led to a big surge in the opportunity for girls to play football to the development of a community-based football club for girls and women. And again, with the help of the local football development partnership that was funded by the council, all the finances that were, and they were huge at the time, to enable children to play and adults to play football was found to help kickstart this club. So I guess what I'm exemplifying here is that our own school community's aim to build pathways for participation in lifelong PISA flourishing was enabled by working with like-minded local agencies. Where does this journey begin? By making sense of your context. You need to not just know who these stakeholders are like Greg is asking, especially which ones are influential, but what they think and believe about PISA and its role in a child's education. You need to engage in a dialogue with these stakeholders, get them to tell their stories about PISA and what it means to them. Survey the children and the parents about their experiences, build a deeper understanding of what these stakeholders think and believe about PISA and its purpose. Going beyond the square requires knowing what pressures are being exerted 
on the square in your context. You must make sense of the square you are trying to change before you look to change it. Thanks, Alex. Remember, we have our website, which is the Centre for Physical Education, Sport and Activity.wordpress.com. And that has links to all our other blogs and podcasts and resources. If you'd like to continue today's conversation, you can reach us on Twitter at CPESA, that's C-P-E-S-A underscore Kingston, or you can email us at cpesa at kingston.ac.uk. It's goodbye from Greg, Alex and myself, Declan. And remember to keep going beyond the square. Thank you.